Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Pixels for Breakfast pod. I'm your host Steve Heller, founder of Pixels for Breakfast, joined as always by my developer co-host Blue. How's it going? It's not bad. Yeah, could be a lot worse, but it's not bad. There's some interesting things to talk about this week at least. Yeah, and actually some positive things. So let's kick it off with the first bit of positivity here. Mm -hmm. Us Two Games, the studio that many will know from Monument Valley, they recently released a game called Alba, a wildlife adventure. And it's this really charming game where a, uh, a, a small girl has gone to uh, an island that her grandparents grow on. And it's about like exploring the environment and working with the animals on the island to bring back life to that place. And as part of that, they announced a partnership with a, a sustainability charity called Ecology. 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 That you're better with words than me. Um, ends in an I. It, it's ecology, but ends in an I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the idea was that for every single download of the game, they would plant one tree, uh, which makes a lot of sense given the theme of the game. It's about revitalizing the uh, the flora and fauna of an island. And so far, they've just announced they've planted four hundred and fifty thousand trees as part of that partnership. And the game's only been out for a few weeks, I believe. It's it's definitely a, a new game. Mm-hmm. Um, not much else to really, really say about it. Just that that's a really cool initiative, not only because, you know, it's good for the planet and good for people, but also really fits in with the theme of what they're trying to talk about in the game. And I, I really like that they, they thought about this and that they bothered to actually do it and share that progress. And of course, people can donate to the charity, uh, if they wish to do so, but you know, just a nice little byproduct. Yeah. Practice what you preach. Yeah. And play a cool um, little new game. I will say that their eventual goal is to plant a million trees, and this is an ongoing thing. So if you want to check this out and try to support this, the trees are specifically being planted uh, real life in real life uh, in Madagascar, a reforestation project in Mozambique, and uh, the last one is in the Bosawas Biosphere Reserve in Nicaragua. So very, very cool. Yeah, I would like to obviously, you know, I think in this particular case, the game makes sense uh, for this to work in, in together. But I would definitely like to see more developers looking at ways that they can positively impact uh, the environment. The world just, at all. Yeah, just the world at all outside of telling cool games and bringing joy yeah, to people. Because that's good and important. But Yeah, exactly. I think that's what really made Humble take off in those early days is like, I get to play a bunch of cool games. And as a result of that, a bunch of money goes to charity. Mm-hmm. Me as the consumer, I don't even really have to think about it, right? Like it's value for me, it's value for the devs, and it's value for the charity. If I was going to get it anyway, and I can... Yeah. With the, in the case of Humble, I even got it cheaper. Um, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a little bit sad that we have to almost trick people into charity. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, it's it's a very cool thing. And I hope that more developers can look at it, especially, you know, as the reliance on server farms and... You know, all of that stuff continues to grow, especially with online connections and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a cool little byproduct. Uh, Alba, go check it out if you want to support that. Another big thing with numbers this week is Epic Game Store, the store that everyone loves to hate. They absolutely love to hate the Epic Game Store. Yeah. Well, not enough people hated it, apparently, because it currently has 160 million PC customers and 56 million of them were active in December. And they had $700 million spent on the store in 2020, uh, which $265 million of that was third-party games. 
435 million of that was epic published games. Yeah, not Fortnite. too surprising. <laughs> yeah, not not too surprising with those numbers. Not too surprising. Yeah, absolutely. More than 103 free games were given away in 2020, which if you grabbed all 103 of those games, they would have apparently cost $2,407 to buy at full price. And those freebies were claimed just over 749 million times. So it's pretty obvious that a lot of people are logging into the Epic Games Store every week to get those free games. Yep. And, you know, it makes sense. Drive your customers. Epic has the money to do that. And it's pretty surprising some of the games that they throw on there. Like a lot of the time it's been games that I've been interested in. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're never the newest games, but they're never old. Like, or sorry, not never, but like they're oftentimes not even that old. Exactly. And it's been, um, you know, I understand why people don't like the Epic Game Store and it mm. definitely has many failings. Uh, it's missing a lot of features that have, you know, become standard for, for GOG and, and Steam and yep. all of those platforms. But, like, personally, for me, it hasn't been that bad. Like, I don't use the friend features very much. I don't really care too much about achievements, although they've added yeah. that. The store is a little slow and broken sometimes, but I actually started using Epic just because I wanted to play Hades. That was the first game that I bought on there during its early access. Mm-hmm. Also, Griftlands was an Epic exclusive for a while. Yep. And through that, I've just started using Epic. Uh, more often than not, I will buy a game from Steam, although that's even changed now because I'm using GOG Galaxy as my launcher. So I don't really care where the game's coming from these days. I just buy it where it's cheapest. Yep. I think that there's a bit of double standard here of people comparing year day one epic to the year 10 steam right like there there's definitely a a case of like what do you expect it's they do have money but you can't just make the impossible happen steam was trash when it launched like, yeah like do forget that <laughs> it was so bad when it launched uh and the other side to it is how dare epic try to like um, you know, come into Steam's territory and t- and it's like, do you not understand capitalism? Like, if they're gonna be able to end up offering some kind of value proposition that makes more sense to you as a consumer, then go with it. I am all for calling out Epic when it doesn't work, but just jumping on the bandwagon of hating it is a bit silly. Yeah, and I do think that it discounts a lot of the good work that Epic are doing for developers. Yeah. Uh, that's a you know, I, I've been pretty vocal on this podcast uh, in particular that I think that they, the Apple stuff, they, you know, went about it completely the wrong way. Yeah. Yep. What they were doing necessarily wasn't incorrect. They just went about it the wrong way. And hey, they did something. They made the, the needle move for smaller developers and Epic isn't part of that anymore. Yep. But Epic are doing a lot of things for smaller developers, not just bigger developers. And I understand people get very upset about like, oh, you're putting, bringing exclusivity to PC gaming because it's a new thing and PC mm-hmm. has been an open platform. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I also understand like, you know, when it's a bigger game like Metro that is a big team that has money or should have money mm-hmm. uh, taking exclusive deals to get, to get more money, like that feels a bit iffy. And I understand why people are getting a little bit upset. But Epic are also investing a lot in smaller indie games like Ooblets, for instance, like yep. ensuring that that, g- that game can get made, yep. like giving that money up front and allowing that developer to stop stressing about their bills, stop stressing about where they're going to eat and having to rush and put out the game when it's not ready. Yep. Like they've done a lot of that for smaller indie projects as well. They're not yeah. discriminatory. 
uh, which, you know, Steam definitely has not been so good in the past for that stuff. Like you've always heard about, you know, bigger publishers getting preferable deals over smaller indie developers yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, so I do think Epic are doing a lot of good things. Same when Fortnite took off, even before they started the game store, they just back paid a bunch of bonuses to people who created stuff in the mod workshop for, for Unreal Engine. And they absolutely didn't have to do that. There was no legal. They did that because these are the people that kept Unreal Engine rolling and people using Unreal Engine who made useful tools and they wanted to share some of that success. Now, yes, part of that is a PR stunt. Like I'm not naive and think that Epic are trying to, you know, do the saints. right thing. They're not yeah. saints. I'm not saying that at all, but they are doing some meaningful good work. Yep. On the flip side of that, I do understand uh, that people are getting upset, especially when you have like a massive library. It's like when you had like 6,000 DVDs and Blu-ray comes out and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like I, I do understand that struggle. But as I said, I just use GOG Galaxy launcher and everything's just flip, together. flip side of that. How can you act <laughs> as if Epic is like so out of line for getting exclusives? How many games can only be gotten on Steam? Yeah, that's true. That's true. How many games literally cannot be obtainable? There, there, there is no physical copy. They're only digital and only through Steam. In theory, technically, none of us can buy those games. Those are all rented. You know, like, why doesn't that tick you off? So, Epic's not amazing. They're not the savior of the free market. But they're another player. And uh, you just hate that you have to think about the game now. I think is really what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, obviously, you and I are both developers, so it's always, like, developer first. The cut on Epic is better. Like, I Much will better. tend to try and buy games on Humble a lot of the time just because yeah. you can give more to the developer that way. Uh, I know that, you know, the majority of gamers out there don't think that way, and that's totally fine. I also understand that. Yep. Um, but once you start learning about this stuff, you're like, yeah, no, Steam, like, Steam ain't bad. Steam ain't good. Epic. Steam's not bad at all. Not not good, not bad. Like, they're, no, they're all no. kind of in that same space. Like, just yep. play your games where you want to play them and... Yeah, everyone you know, is trying to get you as a customer. And you have yeah. to remember you are an end result. They don't need your goodwill. They just need you to shop with them. So. Yeah. Um, but interesting that, yeah, there is always this very loud conversation about how bad Epic is, but then they still have so many customers and people redeeming those games. So good to see. At the end of the day, free games get people in the doors. I don't know how many people would, like, I've actually heard this sentiment, by the way. Like, I'm going to redeem it so that it at least costs Epic something, even if they never plan to play it. <laughs> I've heard that before and that's just wild to me I'm like that is so much hate that is so much energy into being I upset I still remember the moment when I realised just how powerful free shit was yeah. and that was at I think it was the first or second PAX Australia mm -hmm. and we were near uh, one of the esports stages and mm. they were throwing a, they were throwing a hard drive, which you never should do, and you should yep. never throw a hard drive into a crowd of people. That could hurt someone. Yeah. And people were just losing their minds, screaming at the top of their lungs yep. for, oh. for a free hard drive. And I was just like, that's like a hundred bucks. You paid more than that to get in here, and it's a hard drive. But people just love free stuff. They just love it. Like they, they lose screaming. their minds for it. That that trend continued because I know um, when Giant Murder's first year at PAX Australia, we were opposite this booth. <laughs> and like clockwork, every day at 
2 or 3 p.m., there would just be... Because that's when they did the free throw giveaway shit, right? And it wasn't just hard drives then. It was even cheaper. It was, like, shitty t-shirts and stuff as well. And there's just this, like, ringleader egging on the crowd to scream louder and louder. And it's obnoxious. It was right next to the indies as well. So all the indies were like, yeah, come and sit and play our games and, you know, have a good time. And you're just kind of like, ah... There's just obnoxious screaming. Uh, it was just like yeah. I was waiting for a punch on to happen because of this SSD that was being thrown out. It was just like, <laughs> it was wild. It was wild. I was just like, what is wrong with humanity? Anyway, moving yeah. on to Steam news here. Yep. And Valve has announced uh, their newest game festival feature. Uh, it is going to be happening this weekend. So today, as this podcast goes up, there's going to be 500 playable demos, developer live streams, and a bunch of other things. They did this last year, I think, was the first time they did this, the Steam Games Festival. Yeah. That's a lot of demos. I personally will not be partaking because that's just too many for me to take and I've got too many games in the backlog. But I think this is a really, really cool trend. And yep. I think it's super awesome, especially now that, you know, as we were just talking about events, events are kind of died out because of COVID and I don't think yeah. they're going to be coming back in a meaningful way this year, mm-hmm. if ever, who knows? Um. So it's going to be interesting, and I think that this is a really great way to not only just play some games, but get to know some teams. A lot of teams will be there on their Steam page doing live streams, taking Q&A, showing you their games, and I think it brings a bit of that human element to the storefront. It was actually one of my favorite things I think we talked about on the podcast when they did the Tabletop yeah, Expo on say, Steam. Yeah, they did yeah. Tabletop last time. Last year it's, around- yeah, it's really cool to just see them getting the, the developers in front of of the game as well and trying to create that connection. I do wish the storefront was a, a, and the community features were a little nicer on Steam because yep. I think that could actually be a huge point of difference that we're missing in a lot of the ways that we connect with our creators and also, um, you know, just understand the, the work and, and everything that goes into making a game. The Steam storefront page is not quite twitch front page yet but it starts to feel that way when you're browsing random games and you're just like oh the developer's streaming right now you know like that's becoming more and more frequent as i just randomly look at indie games on steam oh the developer is streaming right now uh i I think they're trying to normalize that it's a very interesting direction to take it i think there's this doesn't really help the discoverability problem on steam but it does help you form good opinions about developers and their games. Yeah, exactly. So if you uh, have some time this weekend, jump on because there's a ton of games for you to check out. Mm -hmm. Now we're moving on to EA and they have announced a new studio, Full Circle, and they are going to be the studio that's working on the next skate game. They have not said it's skate for, but it's going to be a new skate game from this brand new studio, which is based in Vancouver, Canada, led by Daniel McCullough, former head of Xbox Live at Microsoft. And they're also going to be bringing Darren Chung and Cuz Parry, who are two creators that worked on the original Skate games. And they're going to be working on this brand new series. There hasn't been any details revealed about the the game, uh, so to speak. They have revealed the logo of the studio, which does look a little bit like a skateboard wheel and something. Um, I'm going to read the quote here from McCullough. The fans wish Skate back into existence and we want them involved in the process from the development to the game launch and beyond. We want them to feel like they are part of Full Circle. We're all about having fun and making great games that people want to play with their friends. And we're looking for more developers to help us build compelling worlds for players to explore. So 
this has been a meme for quite some time. It's been uh, like 10 years uh, since Skate 3 came out or maybe 11 years at this point. And I don't know exactly when or why other than the Skate series is fantastic. I love it to death. But every single post EA did for about a year or two there, it was just bombarded with hashtag Skate 4 or bring back Skate. Every single thing they did, did not matter what it was, constant comments about Skate. And that's what McCullough is referring to there because I definitely think Skate was well and truly off the table. I, I, I don't know numbers for that game, but I had the impression that they did quite well. Like, obviously not Tony Hawk level, uh, very different style of game. Yeah. Um, but I, I always had the impression that they did quite well and they were very well put together games. So I'm excited. I'm personally excited because Skater XL, which is the indie effort that tries to take the skate formula, just didn't do it for me. So I'm pretty excited to see if EA can bring back some of that magic. I, I suspect they stopped because it was just time. Like the 90s was well and truly over by that point. It's a lot of nostalgia for a lot of people, but I think they... I don't agree with a lot of things EA does, but in this case, it makes a lot of sense to just go, yeah, maybe we're done with the Skate series. Yeah. And now, I don't fully think that they did this as a gamble. I suspect this was like, oh, THPS 1 and 2 is coming out. I guess that means we have an opportunity to bring back Skate now. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think the best of these people. However, I will say, you saw a Skate wheel in the Full Circle logo, and I totally Mm -hmm. see that. Do you also see... A smiley face with a cap on a... Ah, person, yes, I can see that too. Yes. Which is also a pretty, like, skate kind of logo. Yeah, it definitely, outside of the very nice, like, flowery language about the game, it does feel like they are, they are pulling a team that seems to care about this stuff in yep. particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it is money-driven. I think that they saw, okay, the market is shifting back to be able to accept these games again because we saw, like, revival of old series, uh, you know, from, like, up to three years ago with... um. Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and stuff like that. So it makes sense. Bring back something that was good, uh, make some more money. And if you can put a team of people who are passionate about the game that they're going to make into the into the role, even better. Exactly. And on to our last news story, quick fire one this week. Uh, Microsoft has just announced that they have 18 million monthly subscribers to Xbox Game Pass, and which means that it's grown 3 million users since September last year when we last covered this story, which was at 15 million. Yeah, that's an insane number. That's an insane number. Obviously bolstered by the fact that the new consoles launched. Yeah, and also uh, worth mentioning that that 15 million was up 5 million from April that year, yep. which was at yep. 10 million. So it's just, you know, leaps and bounds. But this also comes off the back of a rather controversial moment that happened last week where Microsoft tried to raise the price of gold. I don't really know the specifics. I don't have it in front of me, but my understanding of it was 12-month subscription cards for my uh, Xbox Live Gold were gone. They'd, they'd been removed quite some time ago, uh, so you could only buy it in you know, monthly, three-month or six-month lots. Uh, and a six-month to six-month back-to-back subscription was a lot more than what it used to be for 12 months, right? Mm-hmm. And then they tried to raise the price of each of them at retail and also online, trying to push people into Game Pass Ultimate, which makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what that's what their business is going mm-hmm. and has been going well, uh, and the community backlashed, and Microsoft walked it back in less than 24 hours. So... Hmm. Yeah. They announced that early on a Friday morning in America, 
And by like eight o'clock Friday night, so they obviously were up quite some time past closing. Uh, they walked it back and said, uh, hey, we try to do best by. And like, you know, granted that I do appreciate they said this because uh, a lot of companies wouldn't. They, I'm paraphrasing here because, as I said, I don't have it in front of me. But it was along the lines of, hey, we try to always do right by our consumers. Today, we, we didn't read the room correctly. Uh, we will not be increasing the price of Xbox Live Gold. And we will also uh, be making uh, free-to-play games available to play online, even if you don't have a Gold subscription. So previously, okay. if you wanted to play Fortnite, you needed to have Xbox Live Gold. They apparently, and this had been documented long before this incident, so it wasn't just like, oh, we were going to do it. Like they had said that sometime in 2021, they would be making that change. So they've just gone ahead to make that change now. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that they would try and do that because Game Pass is obviously the core of Microsoft business right now. And I really don't, I struggle to understand why anyone would uh, pay for Xbox Gold when just Just for a few dollars more, you can get like so much more value. And like, it's only a handful of dollars more. And I know that that's coming from a place of privilege, but like, if you have a console and you're paying an online subscription fee, then chances are you have an extra $4 a month to, to get yeah. the game pass. Yeah. And I think Microsoft like that, they will be phasing out Xbox live gold. Like it will just happen. But yeah, I guess now is not the time, especially when lots of people have lost their jobs due to COVID. Lots of people are gaming more than ever because they don't have jobs or they cannot go outside or they cannot do their normal social engagement. So I think it's just a very hot issue right now. Yep. Um, but, you know, awesome growth for Game Pass. And as I said, uh, I always feel like I'm a bit of an evangelist for Microsoft. And I, I promise that's not the truth. But I just do think that they've been doing very, very well recently. And, you know, kudos to them for coming out and being like, yeah, we messed up. Let's let's uh, do something right by our consumers. I kind of think honestly microsoft was in the right here (laughs) to begin with Uh i think it's very fair to as you said slowly phase out game pass and i i guess maybe raising the price is not the best way to do it on gold i mean um yeah but eh, the bottom line is that microsoft is in a position where they can absorb the cost of whatever they walk back It, Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt them in the long run but i do want to remind people that when when companies do something like this, that is this is the kind of thing that eventually becomes, uh, oh, we're going to lose money on every gold subscription. You know, like that's when that starts to become a thing. And the math on this is always very, very hard. But just because you pay for something doesn't mean that you pay what is fair for something. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into infrastructure to keep people online and connected and stuff like that and kind of take it for granted. That I pay for internet at home. I should be able to do anything on the internet. And that's not how that works so prices have to go up eventually um all these services are not free microsoft 100 percent is a company that can absorb these though to keep goodwill so that's about all i can absolutely. say absolutely yeah and blue what do we got in blue's trash corner for this week blue's trash corner wants to highlight the fact that um twitch has had an ongoing uh series called uh twitch rivals and they do um tournaments of games with working with different communities to like deliver exciting tournament content and I'm actually not sure if it's always tournaments I think it is like it's like sort of competitive in some way like I heard of um I think it was a Twitch Rivals one with Among Us I know the previous time I was exposed to this in my personal sphere was Twitch Rivals worked together with um prominent fighting game community Face Maximilian dude 
to host a, an Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom 3 tournament, Invitational, um, which is happening again, but not for Ultimate Marvel Clash Marvel versus Capcom 3 this time. It's happening for Killer Instinct, the 2013 uh, reboot of the you know like 20-year-old series now. Killer Instinct 32-man Invitational is happening on Monday, 4 p.m. Pacific time on Maximilian's channel. If the Ultimate versus Marvel versus Capcom 3 tournament is anything to go by, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be super, super fun. Killer Instinct is a pretty cool game. Uh, it, it makes a lot more sense once you know the mechanics, but even without knowing it, it's th there's a lot of room for like very skilled play, a lot of comebacks to happen. They're probably going to have some very good commentators on board as well. Definitely go and check that out. Um, depending on, I'm pretty sure they're going to mix it so that you can hear the game quite well because Killer Instinct has an amazing sound design. So not only is it scored by Mick Gordon, but it is one of those games that has an adaptive soundtrack that, you know, an adaptive soundtrack in a lot of games makes a lot of sense, but in this one, it mixes so that um, different aspects of the game's ambient sounds, of the, of the background music that's playing, of the stage music that's playing, will come in and out based on who is like leading the fight at the moment, <laughs> like based on the character. It's all That's very, cool. very smart. Yeah, and it's it's really, really cool. So uh, if you happen to have time, 4 p.m. Pacific time, Monday, uh, February 1st. <laughs> I, I totally know how dates work. <laughs> um, will be the, the tournament. And I, I suspect it's going to be a good time. I'm going to try to catch some of it. It's going to be Tuesday morning for us, and I'll be at work, obviously. But, you know keep an eye on it and then catch some vods later on heck, that's it from me heck yeah that sounds good all right well now the news is out of the way blue i know what you've been playing i know what's going on but why don't you tell the lovely people at home what you're up to do you know what i'm playing i bet you don't expect this answer uh i played a lot of one step from eden last week oh wow no i i thought you were get, you, I thought. Ooh, i thought magic was on the cards okay one step from eden i hear <laughs> a lot about this game i know what this game is but i've never played it how i say, give I, me say a rundown. I have 6.7 hours so i played it in preparation for a platforms and pitfalls episode which we uh -huh, recorded uh -huh. and it is a game i think i described it when we like got together to record i described it as i think i have a crush on this game and i don't like this game <laughs> um, I want I want to like it. I really, really want to like it because it it effectively combines Slay the Spire style progression in terms of like getting cards and and it's a roguelike deck builder and stuff like that with the gameplay of Mega Man Battle Network. So Mega Man Battle Network, you're on a grid of um, nine by three, sorry six by three, and you can't cross over into the opponent's three by three square. So you have your own three by three square. You can't go into the opponent's one. Uh, in One Step for Eden, it's an 8 by 4 So they added one extra column and row on both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just hectic. Like, the, the point of One Step from Eden is to just overwhelm you with visual noise so you don't make quite the right decision. Um, and there's a lot in the game. There's a lot that's really cool about the game. Up to and in, you know, like, things like you can try to focus your rng to prioritize certain um card types so that you get more of those uh different characters play completely differently there's a character whose um mana regeneration which is what you need to cast cards goes up the more broken tiles there are in the game and some tiles break uh some cards break tiles and she can break tiles naturally whereas another character 
can just slow down time for like two seconds and you move at full speed but like you can react to everything faster now you know stuff like that so there's a lot of like interesting variety in there i think the character designs are really really cool and great i just i just think that a lot of it's just put together poorly the presentation is rough the, there's a lot going on so the ui has to carry a lot of that weight and i don't think it's quite there but i love the idea of this game i'm just not sure if i like the end result of one step yeah one. i uh, i heard a lot of people talking about it they talk about it on giant bomb quite a bit and uh i got it as part of a humble monthly i think but i haven't played it yet i was under the impression like i knew about the mega man uh, battle network mm. comparison but i thought it was a rhythm game is there any rhythm elements to it or not not at all uh not not in the crypt of the necrodancer sense no like music okay, right. music's really cool in the game oh yeah maybe it's just the okay music. Yeah. no no there is one boss that is a rhythm game boss oh okay maybe that's what i'm getting yeah she, she's an amazing boss by the way she's by far the best designed boss in the game so she has an attack that will guarantee hit you and it does like hundreds of damage right but the lead up to the attack is that she highlights certain spaces on your side of the board and you have to stand in them and as you stand in them you get shield to be able to take the attack that she sends your way that oh that's pretty cool it's so sick because positioning is so important in a Mega Man Battle Network style combat system. So you have to basically start to juggle, oh, when can I throw this attack out at her while still following the shield chain that she's throwing around? Um, yeah, it's really, really neat. As That's I said, it has cool. lots of really cool concepts. Did you know One Step From Eden has a um, a co-op mode? You just both play the same character on the board and oh, share wow. the light That's total crazy. and stuff like that. Isn't that wild and weird? I, uh, is this one of those situations where you're like, this is pretty good, but like, I'd sign up for a second one and you'd hope that it'd be better. Is that kind of the vibe you're getting? I don't know because, so the character that I said that can slow down time, I think that character loadout is the perfect character to start the game as because this game has a lot of visual noise and it's very busy. So a character that can just go every now and then, okay, let's slow this down a bit, cost a bit of mana, but whatever, mana regenerates, right? Mm -hmm. And I suspect that this was the default character to begin with, but that maybe after playtesting, people didn't like it as much or something, and then they went with another design, which I think is a horrible first character. So I, I, I would need to know where the developer's head is at in terms of lessons learned, because if they're mm -hmm. learning the wrong lessons, then I don't want a second one, because it's only going to get worse from here. Gotcha, but, gotcha. But there's a lot that's really smart about this game. I just don't know if it comes through. So I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Sometimes with indie games, because you know you and I both play a lot of indie games. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's so close. It's when, so close to being. When good, you're you know? pushing the frontiers of like, what can we do with games, and what's an interesting concept, or if we take this concept and we do this to it, you're gonna wind up with some people who just want something completely different from what you want. And that's not to say it's a bad game. Once I'm from is not a bad game. It's just I don't know if it's what I want from me because I love Mega Man Battle Network. I think it's an amazing series. This is not that game. Though. Yeah, I get yeah. you. I have also been playing an indie game mm -hmm. that I can actually talk about today. Finally, I Ooh. played Olia. Hey, from... review embargo is gone. Yeah, review embargo is gone. Videos up on youtubecom breakfast if you do want to check it out. And Olia is a very interesting gated progression adventure. Mm -hmm. Or Metroidvania, if you want the layman term. And uh, it's just great. It's honestly just fantastic. It's very simplistic in its art style, but also its mechanics. Um, I'm trying to work out how I can explain it without too many spoilers, because it is 
quite a short game. It took me about seven hours to finish, and I did have to replay a few levels for recording purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's about the six to eight hour mark, but I would say closer to the six to seven. Mm-hmm. And um, you play as Lord Faraday. Uh, you basically set off on a voyage from your, your homeland. Uh, you get washed up in the seas of Terrafage, uh, which is like just this mystical land. And a lone ferryman picks you up and takes you to this island called Oak Tide. And when you get there, it's just full of washed up, broken humans, just men who have like their limbs are, are broken. They've, there's hardly any shelter on the island. Uh, everything's just destitute and you kind of recover there and you start heading out to all the other islands around the place uh, and you start seeing these sort of evil creatures and forces and you find this harpoon that is connected through uh, to a magical compass and that gives you the power to dash through the air and you start slaying these enemies and that's where the game starts. You start taking off across these these different islands to clear them and uh, get information basically around your surroundings and find your missing crew that some of them have washed up on these islands. And then sort of one or two islands into the game, probably about an hour and a half, two hours into the game, you find this woman and you kind of rescue her and you bring her back to Oak Tide. And then very soon after, almost immediately, well, actually, before we go there, there's like this weird implication that, well, now the island's going to be fine because there's a woman there and that we can start. Oh, that's gross. That's gross. I, I mean, I don't know if that's explicitly what is being said, but that's the way I took it. And that's the interesting thing with Olia. There's like no dialogue, very little written dialogue even too. And there's a lot that's inferred by just this weird undertone of dread. A lot of the time, there's no music. There's just ambient sound like waves or wind or literally nothing and Mm. it really puts you on edge like you you don't realize and i'm sure if i wasn't writing a review i probably wouldn't have realized as much but it really just starts to creep on you and starts to get in your head and yeah so that was the implication that i took from that interesting and i was like you just said i was like oh okay we're going here Mm -hmm. and then almost immediately this regal looking ship comes up and these servants get off and put the woman on the ship and you find out that it's Lady Olia, which is mm. the name of the game, right? <laughs> Olia. Uh, and for the rest yeah. of the game, you're going around uh, these islands, clearing them out, getting information, finding these other characters that sort of pop up along the way. And you, you work out that Lady Olia is a noble and Faraday and Olia will connect in these moments that are just really special and sublime and romantic and playful. And it's just like... It's like water in the desert because everything else in the game is so dark and twisted and and just full of dread. So those moments really stand out and they're nothing special. Like literally one of them is uh, you sort of sneak on the island because you need to get this shadow key thing to open this door. Like that's Mm -hmm. what the game's leading to. You're opening this door, you need to get these shadow keys Mm -hmm. and you're sort of sneaking around her people and then... She's like standing at this window uh, looking out and her servants there and you're hiding in the grass. And then she walks through the building. So you're sneaking underneath following her. And then she gets to a window on the other side and she just throws this item into the bush. And like, she obviously knows you're there mm-hmm. and she's playing with you. And it's these little playful moments. that was just really great. And not a single word is said. Yep. Um, and there are just scenes in the game, like, the cutscenes in the game look like a real awesome classic, like LucasArts adventure game. Like it's very much 
fluid animation, these big sprites that are just, you know, on the screen, um, but with minimal facial features and just this really muted color palette. And it just feels like it felt a lot of the time like I was playing a game from David Lynch. Like there's just this weird, I don't feel good playing it, but I can't look away. Yeah. Um, like something like a race ahead or twin peaks. And yeah, I really, really dug it like hard. I, I liked it like a huge amount, way more than I thought because looking at it, it just looks like a, another pixel art Metroidvania. Right. Um, yeah. And it definitely was not that, but I do think it will, it'll strike a chord with someone like me who appreciates and starts to think about, like, as I said, the, the implications that are kind of not said throughout mm -hmm. the game. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for a very mechanics driven, exciting combat game, like it's definitely not that like mm -hmm. the combat is quite basic. You have uh, like Faraday can do punches and kicks and little combos and then you have this spear, this uh, like uh, harpoon that you can throw and dash to, mm -hmm. and then you eventually get this moon blade that you can throw in the ground and that will dash you back towards something. Yep. And that's it. That's, that's all you have. And it definitely is taking inspiration from games like Flashback and Another World. So the animation is very heavy and weighty, but it also means that the game is much slower than something like Dead Cells, for instance. Yeah. Um, cool. I think it'll be quite divisive because of that. Um, because it's not a mechanics first game and that's not mm -hmm. to say the mechanics are bad. It's just, it's not why I played that game. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it is another example of don't judge a book by its trailer. And one thing that I've learned, you know, marketing games, especially indie games, but then also just playing so many of them is so many trailers suck. So many trailers just do not. Yeah. And, and it's, it's true. It's hard, hard, but they don't tell you what a game really is or illustrate it in a very good way. And I think mm. Olia, I have not watched, they just released a new trailer yesterday. So I haven't watched that one, but as I said, leading up to it, it just looked like nothing special and it's the start of the year. And the only reason I was even interested in it is it was Devolver. And I was like, I was hey, if say. Devolver's involved, there's something there. I, yeah. And that something wasn't really apparent to me from the outset. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Olia, it's out now on pretty much everything. I think uh, PC switch, I think it's out on Xbox and PlayStation as well. Um, I, I highly recommend it. I would, and I'm not trying to plug the views here, but I would check out the review on YouTube just to see if it does gel with you. Um, Definitely take a yeah. look at it. It is, it, it is so hard to describe what the game looks like. Yeah. And like, even in screenshots, you're like, oh, it looks kind of, yeah. you need to see but it in motion. Absolutely. In motion. And as I said, like Makes I show sense. a couple of the cutscenes, it just looks so good. It's not like... When I first saw it, I thought, oh, it's a somewhat minimalist design. It's not minimalist. It's very deliberate, though. Yeah, like, exactly. They, they're very careful about what details to omit from the art style to make the art style work. And it's very interesting. Yeah, it's super cool. The other game that I've been playing a lot of, well, actually, i got a couple here. Um, mm. The next one is Disjunction, which is another indie game that came out just today. It was pitched to me as a, a sci-fi hotline Miami. And Hotline Miami is one of my favorites. It's like, hell yeah, sign me up. Didn't look at a trailer. Uh, got the code. It is not that. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> but it, I, I'm enjoying it so far. Caveat, I have only played an hour at the moment. Um, mm. It is definitely Hotline Miami in that it's top down, pretty close to instant death. Uh, that kind of viewpoint where you're trying to work out the puzzle or the route that the guards are going to take. But it's definitely very heavily stealth based. Uh, so like you can gotcha. knock people out and kill yep. them, drag their yep. bodies away. But it, the, the, uh, it's a cyberpunk world 
but not in like the edgy, cool, uh, I'm CD Project Red Cyberpunk 2077. Yep. It is very much a Deus Ex Human Revolution meets Blade Runner kind of vibe, and yeah. I'm really, really digging it. The world is more advanced, but it's still filled with shit people. Exactly, and like the music's really good, and the writing is surprisingly great. It's not it. The story it seems to be telling right now is cliche as hell. It's not doing anything super interesting with it, but it is very highly detailed, and it does the thing. Um, like that Pyre does where it has like its internal wiki where you hover over things and it fills it out. And Mm -hmm. like all of those things are really great. Like they'll be talking about the drug, which is called shard, which that's what I mean. They're not doing anything interesting, but then Mm -hmm. if you hover over shard, it'll tell you exactly like when it started hitting up on the streets and the problems that it causes, or this is actually an amalgamation of New York city and XYZ boroughs. And that's what they call that district. And the Russians took over in year 20, whatever. And very highly specifically detailed, so like I'm really you enjoying know, that element. If nothing else comes out of Pyre, I hope that's what developers take away from it. Exactly. That every time I see add that a wiki, pop up, yeah, add a wiki yeah. into every game, basically. That is so much better to me than I found another audio log because yeah. I can choose to engage with it and uh, and it's reading, which is so much faster than audio logs, and it's so much less effort than recording something. Exactly. Um. And yeah, like I've, I've been like, as I said, the story is, it's good. Like it's definitely good. It's just nothing special, but those little extra flourishes and, and depth that they're providing me is like, oh yeah, I want to learn more about it. And the gameplay is pretty cool. Um, once again, like I'm only an hour in, but I'm digging that. I am playing it on the Xbox series X. I think it would be much better on a PC with a mouse. It just mm-hmm. doesn't feel quite right on a gamepad. Once again, not bad, just not good. Um, so I've been playing a bit of that. And the other game that I've been playing a lot of, uh, Blue, is Hitman 3. I mean, it's a good game. Hitman 3 is so good. It is so good. I can't remember if I talked about it on the last podcast. I think I'd only just started it. That don't matter. Let's talk about it again. Yeah, but, like, just I, I'm going to be very, very quick. Um, the, the way it subverts what a Hitman level can be is continually surprising to me. Um, that all the marketing leading up to the release is you're just going to get more Hitman, like mm. get ready because that's what you're going to get. And do you know what? I was totally fine with that because the Hitman, uh, you know, world of assassination trilogy it has just been awesome. It's been great. So I'm like, yeah, give me more of that. But then they just keep changing the context of it. Uh, for instance, one of the levels, like you always go into a Hitman level, you know who your targets are and mm-hmm. you know a couple of threads that you can follow and you just let out, right? Mm-hmm. third level yep. in you you don't know anything and you're being hunted and it doesn't really change the mechanics of the game but the framing of it and the fact you don't know who your targets are and you're like running through this area trying to blend in but also work out who your targets are but also mm-hmm. not have them find you mm-hmm. is just a really interesting dynamic that completely like subverts your expectations of what a hitman level can be and it works so well with the mechanics that are established. It's all about exploration. In this case, you have a bit more than just getting information. It's getting information. Exactly. Like, the, the stakes are just so much higher, but it doesn't take away from what you love about a Hitman, which are those silly little moments that pop up along the way. fantastic, yeah. To me, I think it is them, honestly, I think it's a twofold approach. One, they're just incredibly confident and, and excited and and comfortable in the settings that they've made in these other two games. As I said, I remember saying this last week, 
Him and uh, Agent 47's not turning around and winking at you, but yep. he's very excited to show you what's about to happen. Mm. But I also think it's them training for the new 007 game. Like, a lot of these missions, I'm like, this would be... Like, I can see this is how, like, a 007 mission would play out. Like, you're sneaking around an area and people are trying to hunt you and you're trying to make your way through the crowd. Like, I do think that they're trying some of those mechanics out here. Uh, which, the more I think about that, the more I'm like, okay, I'm actually kind of... I was curious in what they would do with the 007 game, but I'm not yep. a big fan of 007. But yep. now I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm definitely, if this is where they're heading, I'm definitely interested. Mm. I uh, I think I saw an article that said Hitman 3 has already made back the cost of production. In yeah, a week. which for a studio so. that nearly went bankrupt and had to fight to get the rights back to the franchise they created, like, that's a fantastic success story. Yeah, and I think that that means that if you are on the fence about Hitman because you kind of like the previous games, this is definitely a worthwhile like check for um, if you're at all Absolute. interested. Absolutely. And I think that the story of Hitman 3, it's it's very good, and but you could totally jump in at Hitman 3 and not necessarily... Hmm. You would lose some context, but the story is easy enough to follow. Yeah, And if you like what Hitman 3 has to offer, you can then pick up those expansion passes to get the last two games as they go on sale. Because um, I'm sure In Hitman 3's engine, which is... Exactly. So I think it's a, a great opportunity. And the last game I've been playing, Blue, is actually an older game. Yeah. Donut County. Oh, that's a good game. I We are reviewing it for the uh, Pixel Bytes podcast, which is another yep. podcast on our network. So I won't talk at length about it, but I'd always wanted to play it. I always heard it spoken about on the Pixel Bytes podcast with Seamus. I talked about how I never really grew up watching Disney films. I never really watched those family-friendly things. So a lot of the time, the the cutesy kawaii vibe is lost on me. I don't particularly gravitate towards games like that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people I respect and uh, have similar opinions to about games always talked about Donut County in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. And it came to Game Pass. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to check it out. And fallen in love with it absolutely fallen in love with it to the point that restarted it and i know it's not a very long game it's about two hours long yep. uh but my fiance crispy sando who is not a gamer i think we've played games together a total of three times in three years since we've been together she finished it and that's super cool that's a super cool moment and we both just had a really good time laughing and like reading all the descriptions and yeah don't yeah. counting check it out two hours of your life especially now, especially at times like now where the world is like crumbling around us. Like Donut County is super cool, but also a little sad, but super cool. <laughs> uh, brilliant. That's awesome. Yeah. Very glad to hear. Donut County is a really, really good one. I will also say just very quick before we wrap up here, mm-hmm. I jumped into Diablo season 20. Oh yes. I saw that. You jumped on with box from the community, right? Yeah. I started beforehand. Yeah. But um, always keen to bring people through. It's always such an experience for the person for both sides if you've never been power leveled in diablo before it is a trip to go from level zero to max level in about 20 minutes yeah it's pretty very very fun and uh yeah i guess i will probably talk about this more next week but the kaldheim digital set for magic also dropped today when we're recording and that's been fun that's me that's my and magic is out on android phones yeah um, I know you're not keen, but that's where I would probably play Magic the most. So It's not that I'm not keen. It's that there are going to be UI problems. So if you want to get into Magic via handheld, keep that in mind. This is just a, fl- a fair thing to say. 
the edge cases in Magic happen more often than you think, especially if you play against people like me who just want to look for... I'm a systems-oriented person. Uh, Magic is only systems. That's literally it. Uh, I am going to look for ways to break the game, quote-unquote. And sometimes that involves pushing the UI to a place where it's not comfortable, and that's going to be a bit more awkward on mobile than it is on a PC. Yeah. So 95% of your games are going to be fine, but that still leaves about a 5% time when you just go... I, uh, it's basically you know. just never play against blue. Yeah, don't do not do that. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, well, that about does it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you are listening on an Apple device, if you could leave us a review, that would be super kind because that helps the algorithm. Make sure you come over to twitch.tv forward slash pixels or breakfast. I stream three days a week when my work week isn't insane. Apologies for the missed streams this week. We should be back to regular schedule next week. Fingers also, crossed. go head over to YouTube. We drop a couple of videos every week. YouTube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast. And uh, also pixelsbreakfast.net for all of your podcast videos. Other people contribute to the site. It's been a good time. Blue, this is always a good time. Thank you so much for joining me yet again. Thank you. This is a good part of the week. It is a good part of the week. Thank you for listening to us. And as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast.